All right, this is going to be a rip-roaring one, folks, so get set. Following Jesus brings trouble. Our text this morning is Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 56. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning. May we read, see, hear, and understand your word in its fullness, in its difficulties, and may we do it. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Reverend Streckner was vexed. As moderator of the Presbytery and its longest-serving pastor, he was dismayed by where the denomination had gone over the last 46 years. He had opposed female pastors but went along with it for the sake of unity. He had disagreed vigorously with the Presbytery's support of abortion but strove for unity afterward. He was deeply concerned when the new prayer book came out and the triune God was expressed in gender-neutral terms, but he was getting old and tired, and he just wanted unity. And now the denomination was uh, promoting same-sex marriage and same-sex pastors. Reverend Streckner was glad he was retiring. Is unity at the heart of the teaching of Jesus? This morning we'll see the hard fact that there is a time and a place for holy division. Holy division. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. We're going to begin in verse 49. Luke 12, verse 49. And there Jesus says these words, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. Now the context here is being ready for and understanding the times. Now here's what Jesus said earlier in this chapter. He said, stay dressed for action. And keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from a wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Now there are apocalyptic events, huge, earth-shattering events that are going to occur in the lifetimes of these hearers. Jesus says big things are going to happen. He said these words in his Olivet Discourse, that those who are standing there, this generation will not pass until these things happening. These apocalyptic events for his hearers are twofold. First, the breaking in of the kingdom of God with the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. The old covenant is fading away, and the new covenant is breaking in, and the kingdom of God is arriving with power. Secondly, as part of this, is the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 A.D. When Jesus talked about the temple being destroyed, when he said that one stone will not stand upon the other in this structure, and then he said to his hearers, you in this generation will not pass until these things occur, I believe that it was about 40 years, perhaps to the day, that these things would happen. These things are going to happen in 70 A.D. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed when the Romans come during the Jewish war. They're going to take that temple down all the way to ground, stone by stone. So judgment was coming. And judgment starts with the household of God. And so judgment is coming first to Israel. Fire is judgment. Jesus says he's casting fire on the earth. And fire cuts both ways. Fire is judgment for the wicked, but it is cleansing for the righteous. Now, I want to say this, friends. Listen up, kids. It's important to understand this. He isn't just sweet Jesus. He's the Lord of righteous judgment. 
first on the house of Israel, who should have seen these things coming. Let's go on to verse 50. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Baptism for the people of God is with fire and the power of the Holy Spirit. You may remember when the Spirit comes and baptizes the early church on the day of Pentecost. He comes with a mighty rushing wind and he comes with tongues of fire. And it symbolized the pouring out and coming of the Spirit. And the Spirit has been with us ever since. The Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the triune God, is with us this morning and is within us this morning. And he has been here ever since with the body of Christ in power and with fire. John and James had just asked Jesus to sit on their right and left hand of him when he comes in his glory. And Jesus said these words concerning baptism. Mark 10, 38. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Now notice what Jesus says here. The baptism that I'm to be baptized with. Jesus' baptism here, I want to say this, friends, is immersion. It's a baptism of immersion. It's a baptism of immersion in God's judgment. In God's judgment. Judgment due to us, but taken by Jesus on our behalf. Now, why do I say immersion? Because all these themes come up with baptism of immersion. And baptism of immersion is judgment. You may remember this. This is a very common text that's read on a Good Friday service, which looks back at the cross In Psalm 69, in verse 1, it says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. Now, the psalmist speaks these words of himself, but ultimately it's fulfilled in the judgment that came upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He cries out to his father as judgment goes over his head. Now, here's the inside scoop, friends. If you look at the scripture, you will notice a pattern. In the Old Testament, baptism is sprinkling for the people of God and immersion for the godless. You don't believe me? Let me prove it. Two prime motifs come out of the Old Testament into the New concerning baptism. One is the flood, which you find in 1 Peter, right? And what does it say about the flood? It says the flood was the type of baptism. It was the shadow foreshadowing the reality that is baptism. And what happened at the flood? We've got the ark passing through the sea and the rains coming down above and coming onto this ship where humanity is being saved in the family of Noah and all the animals. The world is literally being saved in the ship that's being rained upon. Where is immersion happening? The entire world is immersed and being destroyed in the sea underneath the ark. The second prime motif is the crossing of the Red Sea, which we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, right? The Apostle Paul said, all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses. The Red Sea passage was a baptism. And in Psalm 77, it says, there was rain above on the day they passed through the sea. Who was immersed in the Red Sea? The people of God passed through the sea And then Pharaoh's army went into the sea and it collapsed upon them and they were judged in immersion and Jesus is judged 
in immersion, the judgment with God. Do for us, but taken by Him at the cross. His baptism is a baptism of judgment. Verse 51, do you think that I've come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Jesus is not content with simply establishing his kingdom. And then he says to us, just come as you are. Come as you are. Everything's fine. Don't be changed. The kingdom is established. I'm your buddy. His coming and accomplishing his mission is anything but peaceful. In Luke chapter 11, verse 23, Jesus says these words. Kids, listen to these words of Jesus. Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. You cannot be kind of into Jesus. It's either all or none. And he's bringing division here in verse 51. Division. Now, the Greek word there for division is diamerismas. Diamerismas. It's a very specific kind of division. It's the action of a sword. A sword cutting and dividing, cutting and dividing. Isn't that interesting? Now think about motifs of swords in the Scripture, and immediately you're going to kind of get the idea of what Jesus is saying here. Jesus, in a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. A sword. Swords divide. This sword divides. Let's take a look how it divides, going on to verse 52. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. The sword divides. What sword would that be? What do you think? Anybody out here, kids? What sword is there in Scripture that might divide at this deep level? Well, the Word of God is the sword that divides. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is very intentional language here. Do you see that? Soul and spirit's divided. Joint and marrow is divided. A lot of theologians have said that this sword here, spoken of as a sword of the Spirit, is actually the long knife that's carried by a priest. And a priest's knife was kind of halfway between a knife and a sword. And he would use that to cut up the sacrifices, but he also used that as a weapon to defend the holy precincts of the temple. And so here, the Word of God is a sharp sword, a sword that might divide, a sword that might cut, A sword that brings division, even in families. Now, is this saying that we're supposed to have a lot of friction in our families? That's not what that's saying. It's not saying Christian families should be disunited. And again, I want to tell you this. Primary principle on utilizing and interpreting Scripture is original audience reception and original authorial intent. What is the original person trying to say to the original audience? The original audience to this would have been Jews in the first century. Jews in the first century who had lived under the old covenant and the new covenant broke in, who had been waiting for Messiah, and then he arrives, but he's not quite the way they thought he would be. And you can imagine, you're thinking, 
The temple has to stand forever. Jerusalem has to stand at the center of the nations geographically. And then suddenly, all of these things happen. Jesus comes and he fulfills everything, but not the way people thought he would. He gives himself up rather than conquering the Romans with physical force. And he says the new temple's coming and that old temple's going down. And you can see how people who had followed after him would have had family members, Jews, who would have said, you're out of your mind, son. Daughter, you don't know what you're talking about following after this Jesus. But you'll find the same thing if you're in a household that's mixed between believers and unbelievers. Friends, I want to say this. The gospel, the gospel is inherently political and divisive. The gospel is inherently political and divisive. The gospel isn't simply how we get saved. The gospel isn't simply how sweet Jesus brings us liberation. But in reality, the gospel is the announcement of the reign and rule of Christ. Can I hear an amen to that? And think about how that's dynamite. Jesus is Lord, and the Lord demands obedience to his word. Jesus says there are kings and there are lords, But he's the Lord of lords, and he's the king of kings, and he's ruler over the cosmos. Listen to him. The sword brought division to the first century in Israel and is bringing division ever since. Why does the world hate life and love death? We kill our babies, and increasingly we kill our elderly and our weak with assisted suicide. Why does the world hate the strictures that God created in his world? We want to have unending lustful pleasure. We hate being told that there are two sexes, male and female. We hate marriage between one man and one woman until death does us part. Why does the world hate authority? We love being forever young. We love making our own rules, do we not? Let's go on to verse 55, or 54, I'm sorry. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, and it happens. How much better are we at predicting things? You know, it's interesting. We've got Doppler radars. We've got satellite imagery. But oftentimes, the old farmer's almanac predicts things even better In some ways, I think the ancients were more wise than us because they were connected to the earth. They watched the skies. They measured the seasons. They planted. They watched when the sun came up and the sun went down. How much better are we than predicting things, utilizing the air that God gives us to breathe and the gifts that he gives us since we're made in the image of God? We think we can predict the weather. We think we can predict economic cycles. We think we can predict the course of diseases, earthquakes, and tsunamis. And indeed, we have great technology for that. And yet, can we predict the times, the spiritual times in which we live? Verse 56, Jesus says, You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? It was a time of Yahweh's visitation upon his people. The course of things had come to their fullness of time with the Old Covenant. The predictions and prophecies concerning the coming of Messiah came to their fullest fruition in the coming of Jesus of Nazareth. And he's fulfilling everything perfectly, and yet people didn't see it. 
They didn't see that it was a time of judgment and a time of reconciliation and liberation. It was a year of jubilee. But Israel didn't see the time, and Israel will kill her Messiah and king. Now, speaking of times, I think we've got a long way to go. I don't think Jesus is coming anytime soon. I'm a post-millennialist. I believe this age is going to be an age of the increasing breaking in of the kingdom of God, the power of the Spirit moving out to the nations until the Word of God covers the world like the water covers the seas. You can see it shaking under our feet even this morning. There's going to be hundreds of thousands of people that are going to come to the Lord Jesus Christ in sub-Saharan Africa and across Asia this morning, even though we may not see it with our eyes. And yet it's always time to interpret the times according to God's word. But this brings about holy division. What time is it for us? What time is it for us in the United States of America? Will God withhold judgment on a nation that mocks him and races to leave the church? Will God withhold judgment on a nation that sacrifices its babies made in the image of God to the gods of pleasure and sloth? Will God withhold judgment on a church that cravenly or with cowardice flees from taking a stand on easy divorce, transgenderism, biblical marriage, and the authority of the word of God? May God have mercy on our nation. May God bless us in the midst of these times. But friends, we are the body of Christ, the apple of his eye. We pass through times like this. The church has always passed through times like this. But may we pray that God might have mercy upon our nation and revive us and turn us back to him to know the times. Many of you have these common items sitting around in your garage. Pool chlorine and brake fluid. When these are divided, they are perfectly safe. However, if you mix these together, they will explode into flames. Having unbelievers together in a workplace, group of friends, or family is perfectly carefree and safe. Sin like sin, sinners like sinners. But the moment someone believes in God and actually follows what he says, it's like a flaming explosion and holy division is inevitable. The Lord isn't just flabby Jesus who winks at everything we do and says, it's okay to err is human. God isn't just our sweet sugar daddy who overlooks everything we do because we're his kids. Even when we sin greatly and excuse it or say we still believe in God, just not the way he's presented in the Bible, and try to get everyone on Twitter and Instagram to come along for the ride. The book of Luke in the Holy Bible tells us who Jesus is. And when we follow him, we should expect holy division. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to see the times and help us to be realistic in our appraisal that the message we bring, the truth that Jesus, your Son, is King of kings and Lord of lords is like dynamite in a godless age. Help us to face the future with our faces like flint, like your son as he faced going to Jerusalem and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be prophets in our day. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.